love you, Jesus. Yeah. You guys pray with me. God, we thank you that you're a turnaround, God, that you can do anything in any circumstance or any situation. And God, we pray here today that you would show up and you would show off in our lives. God, today, that you would speak to each and every one of us in a new and a fresh, a profound way, God, that you would dig down deep inside of our souls and, and reveal some things, change some things, transform some things. God, we're not coming here to check off a to-do list. We're coming here to have an encounter with you. And God, maybe we came here. We didn't come here to have an encounter with you, but God, we're going to have one anyways because that's what you do. Your power and your presence is here. And so God, move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and take a seat and... Uh, and man, we're excited that you're here. The 1130 service. How are you guys doing? You guys pumped to be here? No, you're not. Okay, perfect. Hey, everybody online right now, the 1130 service, they don't even want to be here. Just letting you know, I'm glad that you're here though. Everybody that's watching online, you love Jesus. They're not sure. They're going to get saved at the end of this. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm sorry I had to ignore you because those people are actually cheering right now. Uh, but we have coming up. So, so this weekend is Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody excited about the Super Bowl? How come you all cheered louder for the Super Bowl than you did like church? That's messed up. I'm just letting you know. I'm talking trash to you right now because next weekend we're starting a brand new series called Trash Talk. And I'm just getting on the front end of it. And um, actually next weekend we are starting a new series called Trash Talk. We're talking about the power of our words. And so some of you all are going to be using some words today that you're going to need to come to church for next week. And so I just want to get a heads up on that. And so uh, I encourage you to do that. But today I want to start a little bit differently. By the way, my name's TJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're excited that you're here. And I want to start a little bit different today because a lot of times I like to, to, to be funny and stuff, and, and, and you guys seem to think I'm funny, so I'm going to continue to do that. But I want to be a little bit more serious today. I got my glasses on, which hence makes me more serious. And, uh, and so I want to start. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't help myself. Uh, <laughs> I want to start with a serious question, and I think this question is actually super relevant to every single one of our lives, and it's probably the most important question we could ask ourselves and it's this question do you like who you're becoming do you like the man that you're becoming do you like the woman that you're becoming do you like the husband that you're becoming do you like the wife that you're becoming do you like the student that you're becoming do you like the person that you're becoming do you like the character that you're developing do you like who you are becoming the reason I ask that question is because I think awareness, and specifically self-awareness, is one of the most difficult things to have in life. I mean, just by definition of self-awareness, uh, it kind of implies that nobody actually is really, really aware of themselves. Like, we all struggle with self-awareness in life. And so anytime you hear a pastor get up and talk about self-awareness, most of us go, oh man, I'm good. I, I know what's going on in my life, so I'm good. Like this isn't for me. I, in fact, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this because they're not very self-aware. They got some issues going on in their lives that I can see, but they sure as heck can't see. And let me just tell you something, that same person that you see issues with, when they look at you, you know what they see? They see your issues that you don't see. Why? Because we're not very self-aware. So let's go into today, and let's not think about 
so-and-so that should be here, why don't we open ourselves up and go, God, how do you want to make me more aware today? How do you want to speak to me in some areas that maybe I'm not very cognizant of that are happening inside of me? Because I know that every single human being struggles with awareness because we all live in denial. We all have some areas of denial in our lives. And and I think one of the reasons why we struggle with awareness is because distractions are all around us. And things are constantly distracting us from the reality of what is happening in our lives. In fact, I I, I found these Colgate uh, advertisements that they put out here a a couple years ago. And they were incredible advertisements. And they're all, all the advertisements, every single advertising ad, somebody had something in their teeth. Now, I don't know if you've ever been at a restaurant and you've been in a conversation with somebody and somebody's got something in their teeth and they're trying to talk to you and you're trying to pay attention to what they're saying, but they've got stuff in their teeth. You don't hear a word of what they're saying. All you're thinking about is like what is stuck in their teeth. It's like it's like Austin Powers back in the day where the guy has a mole and he's like, mole, mole. You know, it's like all you can focus on in that moment. And so Colgate put out these ads, and, and here's one of the ads. Here's this guy. He's got salsa, like, stuck in his teeth. Good-looking guy, good-looking couple. How about the next one? Here's this good-looking couple. He's got, like, brown junk in his teeth. Doesn't have any idea. He's taking a portrait right there with his wife. How about the next one? Look at this good-looking guy. He's got spinach stuck in his teeth. And, and so you had, they put out all these ads with all these people that had stuff that were stuck in their teeth. And you, you would think, well, that's a, that's a toothpaste commercial. You know, that's why they make toothpaste, so you can scrub that junk out of your teeth. But what's interesting is Colgate put out these ads, and everybody got so focused on what was stuck in the people's teeth that they failed to realize that there was something exponentially bigger and more wrong in the picture than what was stuck in those people's teeth. So go back to the first picture. Notice that both of their arms are hanging down, and then you got this random arm. It's like, whose arm is that? But you didn't notice it because he's got salsa in his teeth. How about this one? This, this older couple, he's got some brown stuff. Like you look at that, they're like, oh, she's got six fingers, people. Nobody notices it. So is that her ring finger? Like she, she, her ring's not, a, maybe that's the right ring finger. I don't know, maybe she got two of them. It's weird. She was the guy that the Princess Broad guy was looking for, the six-fingered man, you know, said she was a woman. Okay. Uh, how about this one? Mr. Good-looking here. He's got spinach in his teeth. You didn't notice that he's missing an ear. You're like, that dude is hot. No, he's earless. I have no idea why Colgate put those commercials out. Uh, I don't know their reasoning or their thought process, but I think what they're trying to say is, listen, something really small can distract you from something really big. And I think the reality is, is when it comes to self-awareness, there are some things that are small in life that are keeping us from some really, really big things. And it's challenging because there are so many things in our culture today that keep us from self-awareness. Pride, ego, Our pain from the past will keep us from being aware of things that are happening in our lives. But if I were to look at this and and I were to make an assessment of life, I think the greatest enemy to awareness in our life is hurry. The greatest thing that is hindering us from being aware is 
our pace of life, and, and I know that this has kind of been a theme all throughout this I Quit series, that it's been this underlying theme, but I think that, that we're running at such a pace that as a church, I'm just committed to making us every once in a while stop and go, hey, is this helpful? Like, is this moving us to become the person, the man, the woman, the father, the mother, the, the, the entrepreneur, the son, the daughter that God has called us to be? And I think, I'm, I, just as your pastor, I'm committed to helping us assess this periodically. Because if we don't, we will live in denial for the rest of our lives. And so today, I want to give us three things that will help us quit denial and live more self-aware lives. If you're taking notes today, and I encourage you to take notes on your worship God on every single one of your seats is notes. It will help you be more aware of what's going on by you taking notes. I'm just going to promise you that because every time a blank comes in, all you people would have to fill it in and make you focus again. But number one, slow down to increase awareness. You got to slow down to increase awareness. In fact, on that worship, God, I put in a little survey for you to take because I want you to assess where you are. In fact, I put it up here just so you can see it. And the question is, is how fast is your life right now? Are you resting? Are you limping? Are you walking? Are you running? Are you racing? Are you supersonic? And here's where, how I want you to assess this. I don't want you to assess this based on your day today. Because some of y'all are like, well, I just woke up. I'm, I'm resting. No, no, no. I want you to assess it over the last two weeks or 30 days. And maybe you're so unaware, maybe you need to hand it to your neighbor that's next to you that knows you and go, hey, what do you think it is? Because if I had to guess for the majority of us, it's going to be down on these lower rungs. Because in our culture, busyness has become the sign of honor when the reality is this busyness should be a sign that there are probably some things in our lives that we're missing. That God is trying to speak to us and, 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 and he really wants us to pay attention to in life. And, and, and hear me out. Listen, we are all, our culture today demands that we run a busy life. And some of you have busy lives. Not only that, but you're in seasons of exceptional busyness. But what I'm talking about here is there is a big difference between being busy and being hurried in life. There is a distinct difference. In fact, I read a book years ago by a pastor named John Orberg, incredible author. He wrote this book called Soul Keeping. He talked about the difference between busyness and, and, and hurried. And this is what he, he kind of deciphered what they were. He says, a busy person, they have a full schedule. Anybody in here have a full schedule? A couple of you? Come on, raise your hands. You got a full schedule, raise them. Because I want to see who doesn't, because we got serving opportunities for you here. Got some opportunity. How many people have a busy schedule now? You're like, I'm, I'm full. I'm jam-packed. Yeah, right. If you're not, take out a card in front of you, fill it out, and we'll contact you. Uh, if you're hurried, you're preoccupied. Not only are you busy, but now you're running off somewhere else as well. Uh, a busy person has many activities going on. A hurried person is unable to be fully present. And I, I, I've been learning a lot about myself over the last little bit. My wife, uh, we have a great Dane. His name is Preacher. He's like 130 pounds. He is a miniature horse. I've brought him to church like one time because that's all he could take. Uh, you guys were just too overwhelming for him. And, and Shayla, Shayla told me uh, like a year ago, she goes, hey, new house rule. Uh, we as a family, we go on walks with Preacher. And when she said we as a family, there's only two of us. That meant I'm going on walks with her. Uh, <laughs> 
I was like, wait a second, I see what you did there. Um, and, uh, and so we go, we go take walks with Preacher, and we have roles and responsibilities. My role is I control Preacher because Preacher weighs more than her. So if she just took Preacher on a walk, Preacher would actually be walking her. Uh, and so so I, I control Preacher, and she carries the public's bags to pick up the horse poop. And so it's a great, it's a great deal. Uh, Pick up your poop, people. Pick up your poop. Uh, do your na- be a good neighbor. And so we'll be walking, and Shayla will be talking to me. And in the middle of talking to me, I, I, she'll go, hey, hey, where, where are you right now? I need you to come back to this conversation. I'll be like, what are you talking about? She's like, I saw your hand going like this, which means that you're having a conversation in your head with somebody that isn't here because no words were coming out of your mouth. And I know when you're doing this, you're having a conversation because I know you. And I'm like, you're absolutely correct. I was having a conversation with somebody that has not happened yet, but I was telling them what was up. And uh, (laughs) why? Because I'm hurried. I'm unable to be fully present. See, being busy is an outward condition. It's based on what's happening around you. Being hurried is an inward condition. It's things that are going on inside of you. Being busy is physically demanding. Being hurried is spiritually draining and some of you guys you're like man I'm there I feel spiritually dry right now being busy reminds me that I need God like if I don't have God in this situation that I'm gonna miss out when you're hurried it causes you to be unavailable to God so there's a big distinction between these two you can you can't live a self-aware life and be hurried in your soul at the same time that's why Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 he says not that I was ever in need for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have another version says I've learned to be content no matter what my circumstances are and that word learned there tells me that it's not natural for us like contentment is not natural contentment is not natural for me it's not natural for you because all of us we want more we want different we want bigger we want better Like, it's natural to not be content. But what he says is that he says, for I have learned to be content. In other words, we can learn to have this state of peacefulness in the midst of our circumstances. It doesn't mean we don't want our circumstances to change. What it means is in the middle of our circumstances, whether good or whether they're bad, we can be content. And we live in a day and an age where we look at the word content and it's got a bad connotation. We hear content and we think, oh, that person is just lazy. You don't want to do anything. That's why you're, you're content because you're, you don't want to do the hard work. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying a content person is a lazy person. He's saying a, a content person has learned that, man, they don't have to be all riled up in life. They can have peacefulness in their life. In fact, if you were to look at the context of the next couple of verses, in fact, in 12 and 13, this is interesting. It says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, what's interesting is everybody loves that last verse, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can get that date. I can have that job. I can achieve that thing because that's the context we like in it. But you know what the context, the verse is actually in context is king. It says you can do everything when you have contentment. Yeah. 
I know we liked it better before. We just like to cherry pick. So the question is, is do you have contentment in life? Are you content? Because if you don't learn how to be content, you know what you'll be doing? You'll be rushing and you'll be hurried. In living a hurried life, it's not a schedule problem. Because I know that's what some of you are thinking. See, slowing down starts with your heart, not your schedule. See, a lot of us, we think the solution to this is, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to rearrange my calendar and, and, and I'm going to start to live this way based on my calendar. And over the next three weeks, you will live that out. And then three weeks later, you know what you'll be back to? You'll be right back to the same pace of life you are right now. Why? Because hurried is a heart thing. It's not a schedule thing. That's why if you were to jump back in Philippians chapter 4 to verses 6 and 7, it says, be anxious for nothing. What is anxiousness? It's a condition of your soul. It's a hurried soul that's, what, what's going to happen next? How am I going to accomplish this? What am I going to do? It's, it says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't be hurried. It says, but with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. <clears throat> To pray, I've got to stop, don't I? I? I know we're in a multitasking society where you're praying while you're driving down the road and texting somebody at the same time. So you're like, well, I'm doing that. I'm just doing it with a lot of other things. But it says second word, prayer and supplication. Anybody know what supplication means? Virtually nobody in any, any service does. Uh, it's because it's not a word we use. You're like, so what is that? Supplication is a form of prayer where you actually have to get down on your knees and cry out to God about that situation. So if I have to get down on my knees, what does that mean? I have to stop everything else. And here's what God says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will fill your hearts and minds. And in a day and an age... Well, we have so many things filling us. I think the thing that we need more than anything is God's peace in our heart and God's peace in our mind. And so if we want to be more aware in life, we've got to start with slowing down to increase awareness. Number two, we've got to acknowledge that your past isn't your past if it's still impacting your present. And I say this all the time. If you've been around Coastal for a month, you've probably heard this ten times. It's like my favorite statement. Your past is not your past if it's still impacting your present you've got to see that for a lot of us what is keeping us from that desirable future is that unforgivable past it's that thing that's holding you back and and let me just put it into plain and plain terms here for you to know whether that's something that's holding you back have you ever said to yourself why do I keep doing that over and over again like, why do I keep making that same mistake over and over again? Like, why every year do I make New Year's resolutions and six weeks into the new year, they're done year after year after year? Like, why do I ha struggle having healthy relationships? Why is it every time I get into a relationship, I do something drastic that ruins that relationship? It's because your past isn't your past because it's still in your present. 
It's still there ruining and tripping things up. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You know what's tripping us up? It's our past coming up in our present. And some of you keep falling over the same thing and same thing and same thing. And Paul's saying, man, we got to start to take that stuff off. Because it's not your past, because it's coming up every day in your life. Listen, if you don't learn from your past, you'll be doomed to repeat it. And some of you have been running around this hill for like the last 20 or 30 years. It's time to stop. And listen, I get it. Awareness of our past doesn't come easy. You know what does? Denial. You know what comes easy? Burying that pain. Burying that shame, burying those emotions. And honestly, those are all easy things, but they're not helpful things, are they? And let me just take a moment. I, I, I just want to talk to church people right now. Um, if you're a guest here with us, like if you just started coming to church in the last six months or this is your first church experience, like for the next five minutes, just doodle. You can just go do your own thing. Uh, I'm going to talk to people that have been in church for a little bit, been in church for years. You were born in church, conceived in church, whatever. Uh, I want to talk to you. Some people got conceived in church, okay? It's, it's happened. <laughs> Let's not digress right now, okay? <laughs> there is this phenomena that is happening in church, and, and, and I, I don't think it's a phenomena. I think it's an epidemic. Um, it's, and it's so prevalent. It's this, is once you become a Christian, after you've been a Christian for any amount of time, when you come around Christian people, you've got to act like you've got it all together. Like you've got to act like you're the personified perfection of a perfect God. So here's what happens. You got up this morning, you started fighting with your spouse the kids were late, you're angry at them, you got in the car, you're yelling and screaming all the way to church. Your like hand is behind you trying to smack your kids because they're acting out. <laughs> if you're Hispanic, you took off your shoe and you're like, don't make me throw my chancleta. <laughs> I know what's up with you Hispanic ladies. If you're not in South Florida, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> and then you pull in this parking lot and you see a parking team waving at you and you're like. <laughs> you get out of your car, you grab your spouse's hand and you both are squeezing as hard as you can. You're like, you better smile right now. Hey. Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. You're like, I can't wait to get rid of these rugrats in kids' ministry. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You tell your, everybody you're good for so long, you'll start believing the lie. Here's the truth you're not good, you're broken, you're hurting. You're angry. 
And it's like if we got real, for some reason we have this perception once we've been around church that like, that Jesus isn't real in our life. What's interesting is, is we fake it so much, but if you look back at Jesus, Jesus hung out with broken people, hurting people, lost people, people that had issues. You know who he actually didn't like? It was the people that were faking it. Listen, I, I can't speak for other churches, but this church... As long as I'm the pastor of it, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. I am fully committed to being a church where it's okay to not be okay. In fact, I get excited when people come up to me and, and tell me about their issues in life. Like somebody will come up and be like, oh, man, I, this happened and I did this. And I, I don't step back and go, you sinner, go to hell. No, I don't do that. <laughs> Sounds cool, though. Like, I want to throw a party for them. Why? Because I know what James 5.16 says. It says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. One of my favorite things to do periodically is to go to an AA or NA meeting. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those before, but it's, it's an interesting experience. And uh, actually, after one of the services, a guy walked up to me and gave me his 35-year coin. Um, 35 years sober. And he's like, hey, I want you to hold on to this. I'm like, I will lose this. Uh, <laughs> but what happens is when you go into that meeting, you're sitting there with people that from all different backgrounds, wealthy, poor, successful, not successful, educated, not educated, doesn't matter, all different colors, all different races, everything's going on in that room. But here's what's amazing. You walk into that room and what happens is somebody will stand up and go, hi, my name's Susie. And I'm an addict. And everybody in that room will go, hi, Susie. It's the warmest welcome ever. Next person will go, hi, I'm TJ. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, TJ. Kyle will stand up and go, hey, my name's Kyle. I've got a pornography addiction. And everybody will go, hi, Kyle. And see what happened. As soon as I said that, some of you got uneasy. Some of you felt uncomfortable to see, but what everybody in that room realizes is that they're all jacked up, messed up. They're all dealing with things, and they know that there's all kinds of darkness that is trying to keep that stuff hidden. And the moment that somebody steps up and goes, hey, this is who I am, there is a breakthrough that's about to happen in that person's life. It's almost like they took some scripture from the Bible that says when you bring light into darkness... Sin scatters. Because they did. Because here's what I know. In every single one of your all's homes, there's cockroaches. Some of you don't think there are. You're not that clean. Every single one of your homes, there's cockroaches. And here's what I know. The moment that you flip on your kitchen switch, what do cockroaches do? They flee. The moment that you decide that it's going to be okay to not be okay and go, hey, I'm going to bring what's in the dark, my past that is still my past because it's impacting my present. I'm not going to keep it there anymore. I'm going to bring it out to the light. You know what sin does? You know what issues do? They begin to scatter in your life. 
One of the most powerful things you can do is, is to begin to bring that to God's people because God gives you forgiveness, his people bring healing. That's how he designed it. I, I, I would design it differently, but that's how he designed it. And so I'd encourage you today, today's an awesome opportunity for you to find some people where you can be real and authentic with, where you can build some relationships, where you can build some trust, where you can go, hey, here's what I'm dealing with, here's what's been in the dark, and I want to expose it to light because I don't want it to have control over me any longer. I don't want it to dictate and trip me up for the rest of my life. And maybe some of you aren't ready to take that kind of step. Here's what I would suggest you do. Go to some counseling. Yea, I say unto thee, go to some counseling. King James. pastor isn't that for weak people no it's actually for smart people it's for people that want to be free listen i go to counseling all of our staff goes to counseling you want to know why because we got issues you want to know something you got issues let's deal with those issues because it's not enough just to slow down to become aware of your issues let's actually deal with them let's bring them out into light and here's Here's what happens. Here's what we believe. Number three, we believe that God can redeem it all. That God can take the brokenness, the hurt, the pain of your life and do something redemptive with it. He can do something bigger and better than we could ever think or imagine. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. It's found in Genesis chapter 37. It goes through the end of the book of Genesis. Excuse me. If you've never read Genesis and you've never read Joseph's story, I would suggest you read his story. It's an incredible, incredible story. Joseph is the youngest at the time of the beginning of the story of his brothers. How many of you are the youngest sibling in your family? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise it up high. Keep it up high. Keep it up high. Don't be ashamed. Look around right now. All the people with their hands up, these are the high-maintenance people in here. And favorites in their minds. Um... Not kidding. You can put your hands up. See, they're leaving their hands up like, I want you to know I'm high maintenance. Like, why? Because that's what they are, okay? And so Joseph is the youngest of his siblings, and all Joseph wants from his brothers is attention and acceptance. It's what every sibling wants from their, their siblings. It's what every younger younger child wants from his siblings and so he wants acceptance and he wants them to give him some attention but here's the problem all of Joseph's life his father has favored him and therefore his brothers hate him and at 17 years old his father sends him out to go check on his brothers and I'm sure in Joseph's mind he's thinking this is the moment I'm becoming a man right now that my brothers are going to accept me that I'm going to be a part of the the crew that they're going to be like come on bro let's come hang out let's be a part of this and he's on his way thinking this is about to happen and his brothers see him off in a distance and they scheme and they plan and so they capture Joseph they beat him up and throw him into a pit can you imagine being 17 years old and you got beat up? You didn't just get beat up, but you got beat up by your own family. You got thrown into a pit. And as he's down there in the pit, beat up, bloodied, he can hear his brothers above him talking about how they're going to murder him. You want to talk about some trauma. And they decide, that they see a band of traders coming along. They decide to sell Joseph into slavery and get some money out of him rather than just kill him. Human trafficking back in Genesis. Some of y'all think it's a new thing. It's been happening for thousands of years. And what ends up happening is a series of broken dream after broken dream after broken dream. 
in Joseph's life. He ends up getting sold into a house of a guy named Potiphar. He rises in power because God is with him. And as he's getting in power, jo- or Potiphar's wife notices Joseph and he was like, hey, let's, 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 let's get it on like Donkey Kong. And Joseph's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And his wife comes and tells her husband that Joseph tried to rape her and he didn't. He gets thrown in prison, broken dream. In prison, he spends time there because God is with him. He rises in power. Some guys have some dreams. He interprets those dreams. He says, hey, listen, I have one stipulation. Don't forget me. And what do they do? They forget him. And for years, he gets forgotten in prison. Until one day, they remember, and all of a sudden, he gets brought before the Pharaoh of Egypt, and and he interprets a dream, and Pharaoh recognizes that this guy is astute, he's good looking, he's got some business acumen, he puts him second in command through Joseph's leadership, incredible, incredible leader. He stockpiles food for seven years, and seven years later, a famine hits. Egypt becomes the world power because they're the only group of people that have food, and Joseph's in charge of it all, so people come to him to get food. Lo and behold, 23 years later, after he's beat up and thrown in a pit and sold into slavery, his brothers show up looking for some food. Now, I don't know about you, but in that moment, revenge. For me, I I would have 23 years of this is what I'm going to do to this one. This is what I'm going to do to this one. I'm going to make them pay. But Joseph had gone to some counseling. And Joseph responds completely different than I would respond. In fact, one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Incredible verse. What you intended for harm, God had a different plan. God had something that was so much more incredible than you could have ever imagined. I want to talk to some of you right now. And I know that some of you might think that these words are superficial and you might go, you don't have any idea what I've been through. And you're right, I, I, I don't know what you've been through. But I think some of you in here have been hurt in some really, really deep ways. Maybe even by somebody you trusted who by definition of who they were should have loved you, should have cared for you, but they didn't love you. They didn't care for you. They didn't take care of you. And they hurt you. Or they allowed you to be hurt. And listen, whether they meant to hurt you or not, it it doesn't really matter in this moment. What matters is, is that you're having a hard time dealing with it and getting over it. And what I want to say to you is this. Maybe, maybe they did intend to harm you in life. But is it possible that God could take that and use it for good? Like, is it possible that God could take that hurt from your past and somehow redeem that thing that God could somehow actually use it for something positive and meaningful and impactful in this world like I love this phrase but God 
Because anytime you see this phrase, it's found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Anytime you see this phrase, it's like there is a transition. There is something that's about to take place. Like it is, is this line uh, of demarcation uh, between darkness and light, hurting and healing, peril and rescue. And you see it all throughout Scripture. You can, you can look at Psalm 73. He says, my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. You can look at Matthew. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is impossible. You can look in the book of Acts. It says, when they had done all that the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. We serve a God that specializes in resurrections. We serve a God that specializes in taking your brokenness, your hurt, your pain, and flipping that junk upside down and doing something incredible with it. And I know some of you, you have questions, why, why, why? And you're never going to have the answers to those this side of heaven. But maybe, just maybe, God can take it. And do something beautiful with it. See, listen, God is bigger than your history and more concerned with your destiny. And I believe that. And I'm relentlessly committed as your pastor to this idea that anything's possible. So it says it out there on the wall. And I, I think that you're here because you believe that too. Because there is no one that has too much pain or too much hurt or too much brokenness for God. Because God specializes in broken situations. And there's a group of you I want, I want to pray for here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of you, you walked in here today and your past is not just your past. It is absolutely your present. And there's some pain and there's some hurt and there's some, some scarring. There's some things in your life right now. That keep rearing its ugly head in your life and keep tripping you up and knocking you down. And I believe that God wants to do something in your life. And there's two things that God wants to do. Number one, he wants you to confess that thing. Confession begins to create forgiveness in your life. When we confess to God, he forgives us. His blood that was shed on the cross covers over all of our sins. What has happened to us and things that we've done. And then the second part of that is, 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 is I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you to... If you've got some hurt and you've got some pain, I'm going to ask you to take what has been in the dark and begin to take a first step to exposing it to the light and go, hey, Pastor TJ, I, I, I'm dealing with that. And I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up. Slip your hand up high and, and go, hey, I'm dealing with something. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. People's hands going up all over the place. And here's, here's what I believe is that when we take that out, come, leave your hands up. Leave your hands up. Come on, leave it up. Don't, don't be ashamed. There's no shame in this. God, I, 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 I pray for every single person that has their hands up right now. God, whatever has gone on in their life that has caused pain and hurt, God, we, we lay that before your cross right now. God, I thank you that your blood-stained cross covers all of it. And right now, God, you forgive all of that as far as the east is from the west. And God, right now, as they're making this declaration with their hands raised, that God, that there are some things in my life, God, not only do I see it, but you see it. And God, I pray that healing would start to permeate the very essence of who they are. 
God. That those areas that have been taking up space and taking up place in their life, that your Holy Spirit would begin to fill those places right now. And you begin to expose the darkness in, in them, the depression, the suicide, the anger, the resentment that has been in their life. I rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you that your spirit and your power and your presence and your peace that surpasses all understanding would fill their hearts and lives right now. God, we thank you that you're present here and that you're changing things. And this is a but God moment. God, you're about to do something that is bigger and better and greater than they could ever imagine. God, what somebody else intended for harm, God, you've got something 